Hey everyone, hope you are safe and well during these crazy times. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed. Thanks so much for tuning in. We continue our series in conversation with business leaders and entrepreneurs as we move forward alongside the global pandemic. And today we chat with Stephen Holmes, who is back on the show for a second appearance. Stephen is the co-founder of Spring Free Trampoline. If you'd like to hear the origin story of Spring Free, you can rewind back to episode 42 of the podcast. But in this one, we discuss how the virus has impacted Spring Free's business, in particular, how it's bolstered demand for trampolines in every major market across the globe. We also discuss how the company has responded to the shift to backyard play, its supply chains, Chinese manufacturing, and why preserving quality is so key. Canada's federal response to the virus, including its stimulus programs for small business, and so much more. And with that introduction out of the way, let's get to the show. Here's my great chat with Stephen Holmes. Last time we chatted, I think it was early 2019, Spring Free had sold 400,000 units right worldwide how many units have you now sold to date well you know so that's a year and a half so we're we're 35 to 40,000 pieces a year at our high end level this year we'll do 150% year over year and we could do triple that if i would open up the floodgates on manufacturing but because we own our own facility you have like onboarding a new staff member for us in china is because we're fully certified lean manufacturing mm-hmm. So onboarding a factory worker is anywhere from 10 to 16 weeks. So you start in order in order for us to truly increase capacity in that to the extent that we need. You got to add all those bodies. You got to look at their onboarding time. And if the back end falls off, you got to figure out, okay, how do we fire them all, which is not our style. So we'll probably be 40 percent up year over year in production. And we probably if we had been 300 percent up, we would have sold them all. One of the things that's been so fascinating for us is we've seen this on a global scale. We, we actually kind of saw it like a tidal wave. So the closing down of China and, and then the slow impact. And then all of a sudden, as the other markets started to close down around the world, you know, really, it was whether it was Canada, the United States or into into Australia and New Zealand. All of a sudden, we saw the demand curve go up. But we we were limited to only what we had in inventory because production was already stopped. So here's the statistics for the United States. Really, really simple statistics. The the amount of trampolines that were shipped into the United States in the first six months of 2020 was 450,000 pieces less than 2019's first six months. Okay. But the demand was probably up 500%. So you had this you had this perfect storm, absolute huge spike in demand with zero production. So there was nothing really produced in China for the back half of January, February, March. And China is producing in that time frame typically about 200,000 pieces, 175 to 200,000 pieces a month. So all of a sudden, you know, the market was void of the product and the demand was through the roof. Where we started to get concerned and where we got me upset is we saw customers, because you've got the aftermarket world of Kijiji and stuff, we saw customers selling 10-year-old trampolines for almost near retail pricing. Interesting. That's still going on, I believe, by oh, the way. It is. Yeah. it is. 
And then we get a phone call from those customers who have bought the thing from Kijiji and said, look, I, I need a new mat or I need a new net and I bought this off Kijiji. How much did you spend? And it's like, and you just feel sick. Yeah. You kind of think, holy smokes. A question for you on that. Do you see customers buying new and flipping on Kijiji? Yes, I believe it's happening, but I don't believe it's happening uh, to the same extent as if they bought, let's say, a cheap, what I would call cheap and nasty, you know, a $300 trampoline and they're selling it for $600. That's happening. Mm-hmm. That's, but we're not seeing necessarily buy new from us because when people are waiting for their product, by the time, you know, they get it from us and they pay for it, they, they actually want to use it. So there's very few speculators in Spring Free. When users go to springfreetrampolineither.com or .ca, there's an out-of-stock message that pops up. You mentioned or alluded to the lead times. So what are the average wait times currently to get one of these? Well, it's about eight to 10 weeks. And um, and we, we try and operate within that period. Now, in fairness, as I said to you before, we have this wait list. And so as soon as we have, what happens as soon as uh, we have trampolines that are absolutely committed for manufacturing and production that we know are arriving in country and we know what their container number is and when they're physically arriving because we control the whole process when that happens we release that those units for sale to that list and the first time we did it within an hour we i think we had sold 851 pieces so it's 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 created a new pressure which is which the pressure which is an interesting one for business which is how do you be loyal and ethical and and how do you be uh, and yet be opportunistic and profitable? As you said, uh, you own your own manufacturing facility and there's this huge spike in demand. Um, are you thinking about ramping up in a different way than you would have otherwise pre-pandemic? Well, interestingly enough, we were already there. And the reason we were already there is because of the relationship between the U.S. and China. Our most significant component is actually manufactured in our facility in New Zealand. And so, you know, that, that's our rod-based technology. We've never transferred that intellectual property to China. When the whole process of tariffs between the United States and China took place, we started to invest, and we we're actually in the process of renovating a very large facility that we've purchased in North Carolina. Hmm. So, uh, and that process was happening long before COVID. And you know as well as I do, to set up a new facility, that's a two to three year process, right? So we didn't react purely out of COVID. There was already some indicators that said we need to be planning. How closely were you watching the threat of the virus here in North America? Like, were you aware of the threat of this thing before most of us were? And how are you planning around that? Well, it's it's interesting that you, you ask the question. So um, the minute the virus was announced in China, which was in Wuhan, we have, we mean, look, lots of people can say lots of things about China. I want to say one thing that's so critical for me anyways, and that is for the last 10 years that I've started that factory, 12 years that we've been committed, these people have become my family. So as much as there may be political, ideological, uh, you know, uh, moral value-based differences between the political systems, the people who work for us, they're family. The minute the virus hit, we had like, I think we had 11 people in the city of Wuhan. And so they were being firsthand reporters to us. And and so within that, and they weren't giving out trade secrets or anything like that or, or getting political. All they were saying was, here are the facts. I'm stuck in my apartment. I am not able to, I'm in lockdown. And so what we heard and when we saw Wuhan shut down is that Wuhan had had a mass disbursement of people post pre-Chinese New Year. 
So as soon as we started to hear about the virus in Europe, because we have we have facility, we have a European office, Germany, France, Switzerland. Um, as soon as we started to see it, we started to see the demand curve really spike quickly in France and Germany right off the bat, as they were some of the first countries who had experienced some of the virus spread as a result of the number of people who had gone from Wuhan to Italy and Wuhan to France. Started for us in Europe, uh, through France, through the UK, through Germany, through Switzerland. That's where we first saw the, saw the spike and then it slowly. And so we were able to start planning, okay, here it's coming. Are you forecasting now with the three, four or 500% increases in demand into 2021, let's say? We believe that the demand will continue to be high, but we're watching the manufacturing of all backyard-based products on a, on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly basis. So in, in, and mostly specifically in the United States, because it has the best reporting system. You know, there's a tool called Import Genius. And Import Genius is a tool which reports every single product down to the, every, every detail you want to know about it into the United States. So we're watching that space really carefully. And what we want to do is be really wise in, in our internal tools that we have to start making decisions for 21. Because, you know, the worst thing that we can do is believe that this is three or 400 percent and be stuck with 60 or 70 percent, you know, of inventory that, that doesn't move. Just out of curiosity, like when you're looking at back, backyard products that are, that are selling into the U.S., what are some of the best-selling products right now? So my assumption is like barbecues and, and pools and hot tubs and trampolines we've already talked about. But what else is selling through that might be surprising? Well, playground sets uh, is not necessarily surprising, but but the huge increase in playground sets. Kids-based toys, backyard-based family activities, absolutely going through the roof. Uh, we sell a swing, a, a swing to Costco huge numbers in our swing business. Wish we had produced 200% more than we did. Um, so all of the things associated with backyard and focused on kids' activity. Daycare is now the backyard. And one of the other things that I would say that we're seeing the trend is while the pool business has skyrocketed, it's the above ground pools that have had the huge spike. I mean, in ground, I'm sure has been a big spike, but above ground, big spike, because you can you can not only manage the financial cost, but you can deal you can deal with the urgency of your decision. Do you follow the health and scientific data also as it relates to the virus? Like when you think about this mode that we're in right now and the backyard being the new daycare, is the assumption that next summer, so one year from now, is the assumption that we're going to be in the same mode that we're in currently with camps canceled, et cetera? That's a great question. And, and let me share this. <laughs> on the camp insight. So for the last 10 years, Spring Free has had a camp program where we provide trampolines to kids camps, summer camps. And we and what they we provide them a summer camp trampoline. And at the end of the summer camp, they sell it, put their money in, you know, in their general fund. And then we give them another one. And so they keep new trampolines rolling through. And so they're now making the decision, what does next summer look like? 21. So we're trying to listen to what they think and what are the things they're going to have to do in order to kind of pace that. And what I would say to you right now is I believe there is real concern 
as to whether or not, even if they're allowed to return, i.e. the government lifts the constraints here in Ontario, or if you think of the U.S., some of the states that have been constrained on summer camps, when they lift that, there's real concern, have we have we restored enough parental confidence that the parents are going to let the kids return? Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer and emotional intelligence coach and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectroCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. ElectroCast. Yes, that's a huge question mark. Yeah. And so we're trying to we're trying to measure that and, and watch it. But what we know and what we try and tell our customers is our product is, we, you know, we have a bumper to bumper, what, what, what we call the Patagonia of trampoline warranties, um, where, you know, it's 10 years and uh, on anything. And so what we're trying to say, to, if you make the purchase decision out of urgency to satisfy your kids, we believe will still be a good product for your backyard for a long time to come. I'm curious to know about the mode that you're in with respect to hiring. We, we've talked a little bit about your manufacturing facility in China. As it relates to onshore at headquarters here in Canada, are you in hiring mode? And what are some of the issues, um, if there are issues that you're dealing with, given all the uncertainty related to the pandemic? When we started seeing this thing, we actually had a reverse thought. I I actually brought all of my managers together and said, look, I don't know what this future is going to hold in the next little while. And I don't want to start firing and laying off any of our full-time staff. So we have two groups of pools of people. We have our full-time employees and we have what I will call seasonal or or part-time employees. And I what I never want to have happen is have any erosion of any of our full-time staff because they're the ones who are the foundation for the business. So when we first started this this pandemic, I actually pulled all my managers together and said we need to do three things. We need to generate as much cash as we possibly can. So we have to think about what does that mean. And I'll share with you a good idea about that. Secondly, we have to preserve cash, but we can't do it by slashing salaries or, or firing people. So people are our last place where we where we make any preservation or savings from. And thirdly, we have to take the cash we generated and have preserved and strategically identify how we're going to invest in and utilize that to actually grow the business incrementally coming out of the pandemic. So let's go to the first thing, generate cash. Great example for you. Within three weeks of this pandemic kind of hitting, especially here in North America, we started getting emails from the AR and uh, AP departments of every one of the major retailers, big retailers, big, big ones, saying our normal terms are 90 days because of the pandemic and our closure of our stores, we're we're not paying you for 180 days. We just stopped selling to them. So they all wanted trampolines. They were all desperate to put them on their online stores. And we just said, no, because that doesn't generate cash. What we wanted to do is turn inventory into cash. And so we moved our model directly to to our our direct-to-consumer strategy and to our strategic partners who were prepared to pay for inventory. So we turned our whole strategy into the generating cash mode. The preserving cash, we within right off the top, we went out to every one of our landlords and said, we don't want a permanent savings. 
We want a temporary savings that you'll spread out over the life of the lease. And if we need a permanent savings as a result, we want you to be open to it. But we're not asking you to take the hit yet. Every single landlord across the board said, if that's what you want, no problem. Our strategy driven out of fear has actually generated a wonderful situation for us to have opportunity. Mm -hmm. Question about your facility in North Carolina. Given this facility that you're building in North Carolina and the fact that we're all locked down in our own countries and the borders are essentially closed, or at least the border to the U.S. is closed to non-essential travel. How do you how do you oversee that project? We hired a project manager to oversee it, so which has been very, very effective. Um, and um, so it has been challenging because every one of our Canadian staff who would like to be down there helping with the overseeing of that process um, is subjected to coming home and having a two-week quarantine. Even And they may even have a two-week quarantine going in, but if they don't, coming home, they certainly do. It's, it's a, Once again, it's a new challenge, but we feel like we've got it in a good place. The Canadian finance minister announced a federal deficit of north of, I think, $340 billion or something like that. And to put that into context for people, it's about 10 times it was, what it was seven months ago and about 15% of gross domestic product in this country, which is some interesting data. Obviously, part of this is a result of, of shutting down the economy and the loss of tax revenue, but the balance of, of this is spending related to the pandemic. So how do you think the government has done so far with respect to navigating this whole crisis and specifically the stimulus that has been injected? Well, I'm not a politician. So, I mean, I believe that most politicians, unfortunately, their number one job is to keep their job. And that, that's the way they behave. So I will be political and say that I believe that the government has sacrificed many future generations and they've sacrificed significant financial costs onto the future of our economy and our, and our country in exchange for popularity. So I, I personally don't support the way in which they've gone about uh, the, their process. I don't personally support the way they've they've handled some of their subsidies and the way that they're feeding that out into the system. I'll give you a great example. You know, they came out with a program very early on concerned that students wouldn't be able to afford to go to school this year. So they came up with a program that said, you know, if you're between this and this, you can get $1,750 a month. I think it is, I may be wrong on that, but it's, it's close to some somewhere around that number um, as a student to compensate for your lack of ability to get summer employment. Do you think I could imply, uh, employ a summer student? Yeah, not a chance. Not a chance. So, so when you, when you, when you disincentivize people mm-hmm. from the, utilizing their gifts, there's an impact. Forget about the financial implication. There's what happens, as you know, is there's a change in the mindset by those individuals, which says there is an opportunity to get something for nothing. And when you do that within a system like ours, um, it's extremely difficult to reverse course. When you say to somebody, don't worry here, and you ask for nothing in return, there are more implications that I think we still have not felt. And we won't feel until September, October, November of this year. Yeah, and I think this notion stretches beyond students and into the emergency response benefit that people are still collecting to the tune of $2,000 a month or something like that, um, which has been generous and has, to your point, disincentivized people from returning to work. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think, you know, we know that there are a number of companies who are in financial trouble, but the, the between the CERB and between the and between the employer uh, benefit of 75% of payroll up to $58,000, all they've done is they've deferred the decision that may actually materialize in September, October, when those monies stop and the employers say, well, nobody's, and CERB stops, nobody's buying my product and I can't get, I can't have anybody paying for my payroll anymore. I'm now going to go bankrupt or I'm now going to go into insolvency and restructure. Because I think that September, October, November in North America is going to be a real, real difficult shift. And with the political election in the United States in November, once again, another potential shift. Yep. Do you have any predictions in that regard? <laughs> I would I wouldn't even fathom to guess. Okay. Uh, mm. <laughs> I was just curious. What about the stock markets? Do you invest in the public markets? And if so, what do you think is happening here? I mean, these markets just seem completely disconnected from what's actually happening on Main Street. Well, let me say this. The market is made based on greed and fear. Right. We all know that the, 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 the perfect market is finding that balance between those people who are still greedy and those people who have reached the point of fear and they're the sellers and the buyers, etc. What we have is a situation right now where there is so much cash in the in the in the system. There's so much cash available institutionally and they have to go someplace and there's no other place to put it than the market and the market still creates liquidity. So all of the valuations that you and I were taught in business school, which is, you know, hey, let's look at the multiples. Let's look at the let's look at the underlying earnings, the dividend yield. Let's look at all those things and let's let what's a reasonable return da, da, da. that dictated the value of a stock historically. That is no longer the place. Now it's about now it's about ensuring that the stock they're invested in is trading sufficiently enough to ensure liquidity. I recognize that Elon Musk and Tesla have a much bigger plan than cars, but right now they're primarily a car business with some other things that they're thinking through and obviously SpaceX, but 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 they're producing 125th the number of cars as Toyota and they're worth more than Toyota. What is it that's driving that value? And I think what's what's driving that value is a little bit of that greed. Um, people see it. They want to be part of it. There's, there's a sex appeal to that story and, and green and all of those things. And simultaneously, there's a high degree of liquidity because that stock trades so well. And so people with institutional dollars are happy to get in, knowing they can get out and get back in and get in and get back out. I, I can't imagine the size of gains that have been realized by institutional investors with the decline in the market and then the return to the market. Because you know as it went down they were buyers. Speaking of Tesla, um, I'm looking at mid-March, uh, stock price of roughly 360 US. Today, it is north of 1,350 US. So it's more than tripled in the last three months. Unbelievable. Market cap of 251 billion. I, I don't. So you asked me the question, what do I think of it? I think that there is there is a sufficient amount of cash demanding investments in highly liquid stocks that are driving up values that are no longer relative to the traditional valuations than you and I have ever, ever learned before. When you see the number of companies that are now declaring bankruptcy, what you're going to see is a, a decline in more and more public companies. Yeah, and the IPO market's all but dried up. It seems to me that if you're going public right now, this would be a phenomenal time. 
given the lack of uh, attention with other stocks uh, IPOing. I want to go back to something you said earlier about greed and fear driving the markets. If you were responsible for reducing anxiety and fear, or maybe you've got firsthand experience with this, either with your kids, your grandkids, things that people can do to reduce fear relative to what's going on at the moment, what pathways would you explore? Well, since you, you haven't given me any of these questions in advance, so let me just take <laughs> Here's my comment. Create, number one, create a routine. You can have a variable routine, but create a routine. And it's really important that in that routine, you actually set aside time to sit quietly. You know, there is so much noise going on, whether it's media or or whether it's your friends. You know, how many people do you get on a conversation with, Adam, where people go, well, what do you think of this and this and this? And have you read the infection rate? And, and, you know, are you wearing a mask? You're not wearing a mask. You need in that routine to absolutely dedicate some personal time to just quiet. Number three, determine who are the people who are close to you, really close to you, really, really close to you, and recognize and look at the things about those people that you truly value and recognize that it's likely that no matter what happens to you, they will still love you. I've seen more friends recently who struggle with the thought that maybe they'll have to go bankrupt or maybe they'll have to restructure their affairs or maybe this is getting too difficult or they become too debt-laden or, or you look at today Brooks Brothers going bankrupt. Who would have thought a company over 200 years old going bankrupt? You know, in these times, it used to be 10, 15 years ago, that was a stigma which defined you for the rest of your life. That is not the case anymore. And the, if you go through difficult times, you need to know who are the people you're going to turn to. Number four, last thing, do not, do not get caught up in a spending spree because everything seems so cheap. Set aside some key financial resources to weather the storm ahead. Yep, probably a great place to stop. It's been a, an exciting and eventful and very unpredictable year so far. Okay, for more information, by the way, people can go to springfreetrampoline.com or .ca if you're in Canada to be put on the wait list, of course, because uh, you will have to wait for a trampoline, as Stephen mentioned. Um, is there anywhere else that people can connect with you, Stephen? No, I'm, I mean, my email is uh, real simple, shomes at gobasports.com. So Goba Sports is our parent Goba Sports company, and uh, which Goba stands for go outside and be active. Um, and uh, so I'm happy to hear from anybody at any time. Go outside and be active. Maybe that is point number five. <laughs> Tremendous advice. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate the time. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the city of angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. 
But I like airplane. I know you do. But Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid.